0: Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davis, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode. This episode, we have Jeremy Harrell here with us. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then we're going to bring him on the show. Jeremy Harrell is a U.S. Army combat veteran who served in Operation Iraqi Freedom in the global war on terrorism. Jeremy served honorably for nine years and was a non-commissioned officer before getting out of the Army. After leaving the Army, Jeremy went to school at Mid-Continent University studying business management. Jeremy went on to become involved in operations management with companies such as uh, UPS. In 2017, Jeremy founded Veterans Club Incorporated, which is a premier nonprofit that assists veterans in healing from PTSD traumatic brain injury, substance abuse, and to assist homeless veterans with housing and programs to get them back on their feet. Jeremy's organization, Veterans Club Incorporated, has a nationally recognized equine-facilitated mentoring program for veterans, first responders, and their families. Jeremy is often called upon both local and national media outlets to speak on veterans' issues, social issues, PTSD, homelessness, suicide prevention, foreign policy, and much, much more. Jeremy has been featured on Fox and Friends, CNN Primetime with Chris Cuomo, the 700 Club, History Channel, and more for his leadership and advocacy. And we are happy to have him on Grace Story Podcast to share some of his story and more about his organization. Uh, Jeremy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate being here. I'm looking forward to a great conversation
0: absolutely and you know we before before we dive into uh some of the the history you have and your story with PTSD and ongoing traumatic brain injury which is something that does not go away uh you're very well aware uh but let's start at something that i'm sure is very near and dear to your heart and your soul and that's yeah. how did you come to christ
1: yeah um so it's it's a really interesting story uh, as i was growing up um, I never went to church. My family, um, wasn't part of any church. In fact, it was almost frowned upon to, to, to be, uh, Frank, um, Christianity just wasn't in, in, in our home at all. And so, uh, so I, I never really stepped foot in church other than, I think I went to a little league basketball game one time that was at a church gym. Um, but when I went to the, when I joined the army after high school and I got to boot camp, um, you know, every Sunday, they would offer an opportunity to go to services. And uh, if you weren't Catholic, they called it Protestant services. And um, <laughs> the, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, when I would see people go off to, to church, I noticed that someone had to stay around the barracks, and they had to clean, right? And so uh, I thought, well, you know, I, I want to go to church, I'm trying to run in the buffer on the floor. And, uh, and so I decided to, to go one Sunday. And, uh, when I, when I sit down and I, and I heard the chaplain, um, give the message, it really, it really resonated with me. And, um, and I didn't really even know what that looked like or what was actually happening at the time. But, um, I just remember being drawn to it. I was drawn to the word, and, uh, and, and again, I couldn't really figure it out. I, I had no experience. Uh, but I, I I left, you know, that Sunday, the next Sunday come, and I went again. And around the fourth Sunday, they were giving folks an opportunity to be baptized. And after having a conversation uh, with the chaplain and, and really unpacking what that looked like, um, I was ready to do that. Uh, at that point, I just felt like all four Sundays before that, I felt like, God and and now I know He was, but at that point I felt like God was just speaking to my heart, and and every message seemed to be um, directed at me. And I know there's a lot of people have similar stories, and so I got baptized in boot camp and uh, and was on fire for the Lord, and and uh, <laughs> and that was a good place, right, to to welcome the Lord in my life because it was a very challenging time in my life. Just I mean, you know, boot camp's not easy, um, but I would later learn that that was easy in comparison to some of the. Issues that I would face later on in life, but that's how it all started.
0: Well, and, and I'm sure you know having that experience then, and then the personal relationship with Christ to sustain you. Uh, God has a way of, of of preparing us well before we even know we need what He's giving to us. And so that's in boot camp, and then <laughs> and then you head on over overseas. Uh, you're you're a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, that my generation is very well acquainted with. Uh, so, walk us through what that what that's like for a young kid to one minute be you know skipping out on janitor duties and and having a relationship with Christ, and you know you're excited and you're learning. Also boot camp, you're learning how to become an effective soldier, and then you find yourself overseas in a combat zone. What, yeah. What's that like?
1: Yeah, so I want to preface that by saying that uh, just like most um, new believers, um, and and I would consider myself very spiritually immature at that point, after I left boot camp and things seemed to be normal again, I I lost sight of my walk with Christ uh, because subconsciously maybe I felt like I didn't need him then uh, because there was nothing really challenging out of the norm happening uh, until I got orders to deploy uh, to Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003. And I was 21 years old, and uh, I just remember getting there and uh, and just being very afraid. I remember getting off the plane uh, in Kuwait before we ever even got to Iraq, um, and there were alarms for chemical agent attacks. And uh, I mean, we had just wheels down, and uh, and you know, we got into our uh, nuclear, biological, chemical suits, and and uh, and it was all becoming real. And I remember thinking about. My relationship with God and thinking, you know, uh, well, it was two sided. Number one, I, I prayed and said, "God, I need you," and then I also felt guilty because I, I hadn't done that uh, uh, since I felt like I needed Him last. Although we need Him every day, and so, um, you know, again, I really relied on faith to get me through that deployment. I was there for sixteen months. It was uh, it was probably the closest thing to hell that I'd ever been. Uh, you know, and I've had, I had a rough childhood. Uh, domestic violence and, and alcoholism and, and and all that stuff and uh, poverty, things like that. And that was challenging. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, but it was, I was in a place where I thought if, if, if hell is anything like this, I don't want to go there. And, uh, and, and I had an accountability partner uh, who is still my friend today. And actually he, he works uh, three miles down the road from me. Um, and he was a little bit further along in his walk. And so, um, you know, he, we would always hold each other accountable you know, we'd have our own Bible studies out in the desert. It was just very difficult to really focus uh, on the word, um, not because we didn't believe it or not because we didn't want to do that, but like all this destruction and violence is going on around you continuously. And here, here we are, you know, um, trying to have a Bible study in the middle of a war zone. It just, I just can't hardly even find the words really to, to kind of describe how, how uh, strange that felt but, uh, but it was absolutely necessary. And I will tell you, um, thankful to God praise him for the fact that he is why I'm here, obviously. And, but he is, he is what got me through the hard times. And, uh, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as if I maintained a high level of faith through the whole deployment. There were times where I was angry and, uh, and I actually prayed against what I read in, in the Bible. And, and, and I was just like, why am I here? If, if, if I'm trying to be obedient to you, and I'm I'm loving you, and I'm doing all the things, why am I in the middle of this hellacious place, watching friends, uh, you know, perish, and and watching innocent people in this country uh, be be hurt or killed? Uh, I don't understand, and and I didn't, and uh, and and later on in life, obviously, I realized that there was a difference between sin and God and that what we were experiencing was absolutely what he warns us about and talks about often in the word he was warning you know but in my mind I just thought you have the power Jesus to stop this and and of course he does he's sovereign over everything but with our limited amount of knowledge um there was glory to be had in that and I think about what I'm doing today and and that's and all based on those terrible experiences and I and and I often surprise people when I tell them that if I had in order to do what I'm doing today and have a relationship with Christ that I do, I would do that hundred times over again. Uh, but I just didn't know it then. Right. And that's a really good lesson for people to, to, to understand is, is when you're walking through the fire, just to trust, you know, just to trust that God has this perfect foolproof plan that we could on our best day couldn't come up with and that we just have to continue to walk and continue to pray and, and understand that he's with us all times. And, um, and I, you know, I wish I could have told my 21-year-old self that, but you know, I wouldn't have the story to tell. So, um, that you know, and you know, getting through that deployment and recognizing that that was just the beginning of my own war. Um, the war started in a different way once I returned home.
0: Well, and with that, I mean, so much there, first of all. But, and, and I understand it's not it's not really possible for someone like me or those listening that have never been to war to fully comprehend what you just said. Um, And I can appreciate that. And then maybe even more so for people that have been to that arena and they're like, yeah, that, that is your words. Don't even do that justice. That is pure hell on earth. Mm -hmm. And how do you reconcile that with an all loving, all knowing, compassionate, merciful heavenly father? Um, But it sounds like you came through that with, uh, with more in your tool bag to deal with what you're dealing with now. Again, before you even knew you needed it and what you needed it for. Um, and you, and you, speak of those struggles you're, you're coming back with. And we mentioned it in the, 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 the bio at the beginning, the PTSD, the traumatic brain injury, um, in a brief synopsis, whatever you're comfortable with, can you, can you explain to us how you sustained those into the traumatic brain injury?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there were uh, concussive blast there, um, that, that I experienced, uh, the, the PTSD obviously is, is from traumatic events. Um, I later found that, that I had, a, unfortunately a dual diagnosis. Um, um, I had PTSD from childhood and, uh, and then also from my service. Uh, and, and if you look at the statistics, most people who have, um, a severe, uh, level of PTSD, I wouldn't call mine severe at this point. Thank, thankful to God for that, for releasing me from that but at, at one point in time for several years, I would absolutely consider that, uh, m- most of the folks who, uh, have had pr- uh, prior trauma have come from an abusive environment, uh, one way or another, whether they were abused or whether they witnessed abuse or other violence or ch- other trauma. And so, um, it's, it's just, it was just kind of the, the simmering fire. Um, and then, and then Iraq was the fuel, right. Who, uh, who kind of really, really set it on fire. But, uh, but, yeah, it was just a combination of just seeing the worst part of humanity. Um, you know, uh, I think it's important for me to note for the listeners that uh, when I was in high school, uh, because I seen so much violence b- between my father towards my mother, um, I was opposite. And I worked really hard to be opposite of that. And, uh, and so I was the 17-year-old kid when it snowed. I was going to senior living apartments and taking grocery store orders and I was going out and getting milk and bread and, and all the stuff that we get when it snows here in Kentucky, <laughs> and uh, those milk sandwiches. But anyway, <laughs> <The> um, essentials. <laughs> yeah, um, but and so all of a sudden I joined the military, and uh, and what do they teach you? And rightfully so, um, they teach you to be violent if necessary. Um, and so that was a, that was a moral injury. Uh, I think for I call that that's what I call that a moral injury, where I was like, wait a minute. Um, yes, I absolutely knew what I was signing up for, but I didn't necessarily know how it would make me feel, uh, until, because you can't even, you can't even fathom what that's going to be like. It's such a unique experience. There's nothing else that really compares. And so, uh, but, but I did love the military and and I, and, I, and if I wouldn't have gotten hurt, I would have still, I would have been the 30 year guy that they had to force to leave. I really enjoyed it because I'm a strong advocate for the underdog and I don't like bullies. Uh, so that's how I justified everything is that, you know. I don't like people who bully other people, and and that's what's kind of happening in the Middle East, uh, and I, and I want to be a part of the solution. Um, but it really did wreck me, uh, for lack of a better word, just the experiences and seeing some of the, the things, and just just the environment. You know, many people when they think about combat and war and things like that, they, they focus a lot on the, the 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 physical violence and or like the explosions, the bombs, um, but uh, the environmental factor is also debilitating at times. I mean, you're, you're in a very, very extreme heat constantly. I mean, there was no, uh, during the initial invasion is when I went, there was no air conditioning. Um, we, we slept in a tent, uh, in the middle of the desert. Um, we worked, uh, in a prisoner prisoner of war camp. Um, there, there it's a, it's a dirty place. It's, it, it's the, the smells it's, it's, uh, you know, there's just a lot of other environmental factors that play a role. I mean, we're very, very spoiled people. And I didn't realize that because I grew up uh, with nothing. I mean, literally barely had enough to, to, to live on. And I thought, man, this is terrible. And it was, but at the same time I recognized that it was a blessing uh, in comparison to what I seen there. And uh, we're just not built to, 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 uh, to process that. Um, and and so it kind of lives on in your head and, and there's so many some of these strange dynamics to it that it, it's it's very hard to kind of you know figure that out so what do you do when you when you can't figure something out you either compartmentalize it or you try to stuff it down in hopes that one day it'll work its way out and that and it, it can work its way out but it's usually not in a productive manner if you don't address it and it took me almost a decade to figure that out a decade of struggling and suffering uh, before I really started to figure out how to get on the other side of this and and I tried everything first even though I knew better, I think that's important to know is that, you know, as Christians, the expectation uh, for us is, is sometimes very unrealistic. I mean, we are humans. There's a human element. We are sinful people who deserve death. You know, when I say that some people think, well, that's very brash. Well, it's the truth. Yeah. It's the truth. That's, that's all sure. we deserve. And that's, what and, and that's who we are. And, uh, and so um, I, I, I tapped back into uh, my faith again last, but I have a really cool, Story to tell you further along in this recording of, of of what it looks like now. So
0: well one thing I noticed, I never thought about that as you know, you mentioned the moral injury of learning how to be violent. Mm-hmm. Um I guess you don't think about that because you know, me going to basic for, for everyone, it seems like it's kind of a cool experience where you're getting to mm-hmm. test out this and hit that and run there and you know, form a brotherhood bond. But I mean you lay it out there, like for certain individuals with a history, this can be traumatic in its own way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one thing before we, before we move to kind of your story of coming home, uh, which is wh- I'm very interested in, and I'm sure the <laughs> listener will be as well, but you mentioned in another interview I've, I've heard you in, I've heard you say in another interview that in your time in the service, you came to a point where you accepted that you may not live. That such a huge loaded sentence there. Can you explain what living through or, or coming to that point is like, and maybe how having been at that point is affecting your life today?
1: Yeah. You know, it was one of the, the biggest turning points. It's such a pivotal moment in my life and it's still very, very real uh, today. Um, when I was there, um, you know, you fear death uh, but we're, we're essentially going up against an enemy who doesn't right so the, the our desire to live mirrors their desire to die and when you're facing an enemy that way um, it, it's it's very intimidating um, although we're we're the best trained and, and intimidating doesn't mean that I was fearful and felt like that uh, we couldn't do our job it was just the real reality that I want to live like this person wants to die and that's a very different dynamic they didn't value life. Um, the way that we do, they, they value the afterlife, um, uh, much, much more. And so, um, I would always worry. And so would every, you know, everybody else there, we, you know, I just kept, you know, had this almost debilitating anxiety and fear in the beginning of, you know, this could be it for me. I'm 21 years old. Like, is this, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to die. Um, and, and I know where I'm going, it had nothing to do with that. Um, and, and I, but I just felt like there was so much more, uh, for me to do, um, And so I had to really come to terms and go, if I'm going to if I'm going to be able to stop being scared, then I have to just accept that I'm probably going to die here. And then I don't have to be afraid anymore. And so and 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 that was very, very um, primitive because it's not something that just kind of pops into your head. It was just I had to come to terms with death so that I could live. And, and And what I've later learned is that 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 translates into our, our, our faith. We die to ourselves so that we can follow Jesus so that we can continue to live the life that he has for us, right We have to and uh, and I didn't know that then, but but it was a you know but that's what I did. so when I when I finally decided, okay, this is going to be it. I'm not worried about going home. I'm not worried. And I had a daughter um, who was who was you know almost two years old uh, very young. And so that was a, a, an extra part of the stressful uh, scenario. But I just said, you know, I, I can't worry about that. I'm just going to, I'm going to die here and I'm going to, it's going to be a, uh, if, if I have to go, this is a, a good way of going, right? This is a very noble way of going. And once I did that, a, a, a switch flipped and I no longer feared death at all.
0: That, that makes me almost speechless. Cause you're talking, what did you say? 16 months, mm-hmm, 16, 16 months. months. Sixteen months of just yeah, this is probably where there's I'm never going to see my two year old like mm-hmm. again, another form of trauma, uh, another layer um, that when you come home and and let's go to that because you you were you a combat veteran, mm-hmm. you talk about coming home with T- PTSD and a traumatic brain injury. what well, What did your journey of recovery look like? Uh, where did it start, and what resources did you go to, uh, and, and what did they offer to you?
1: Yeah. So, man, it was like I, I remember coming home and and I felt almost as fearful to come home as I did to go um, because I was different. Um, I, I was I didn't know how I was going to fit back in, um, you know, to my trips to Walmart or to changing a diaper or to, you know, I just did. What does that look like? I mean, what, how do you even come down off this? you know, 400-some-day adrenaline um, ride. And then I just didn't know what that looked like. So we, I remember coming home and um, and feeling like a fish out of water immediately. Um, I remember being out in public and just kind of looking around and going, what is this? Like, I, I don't belong here. I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't. And, and, and I say it often. Uh, I felt like a foreigner in my own country. Mm. I didn't understand people anymore, even though they spoke English. Right. I didn't, I didn't, you know, the, 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 what I considered small uh, first world problems that we continuously, you know, spoke about and complained about here. It just, it would make me nauseous initially I'd go, is this? And and so when I come back and, and I got out and, um, I started going to, uh, I, I got into the reserves. I started going to, uh, to work. And I remember being at work and people complaining about, um, and, and, and keep in mind, I went back to work only 30 days after, um, I got home. And so I remember people going, I don't, am not feeling good today? Or, you know, uh, I worked at UPS and it was the logistics side of UPS. So we're in these warehouses and yeah, they're not, they're not temperature controlled and people complain about the heat. And I just stopped. Are you kidding me right now? Like this isn't hot, you know, or, or I'd, but essentially I became an HR nightmare. Really? (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't have a better word for it. Not on purpose. I didn't have any kind of like um, vindictive tendencies towards anybody or, or, or Phil. I just didn't understand it. Like you have a stomach ache. Okay. What do you want me to do about it? Well, I need to leave. Why? We got, we got a mission, right? We have something we have to do. We have to get these, these, these orders out. And uh, they don't care about our stomach ache, right? So that's how it was for us. I mean, <laughs> you know, it would have been extra nice to be able to say, you know, I'm, this, this isn't for me. I'm out. Uh, I'm just going to go on back home, and I'll see you guys when you get back. And, you know, that wasn't an option, and, and I wouldn't have took that anyway because of my brothers and sisters-in-arms. I would have always wanted to be there with them. But, uh, but yeah, so I just had a – and so because I couldn't figure that out, um, I decided to isolate and isolation is a killer in our community. And it's even more deadly than the enemies that we face in war. Um, 20 veterans a day are taking their lives uh, every day. And it fluctuates from 17 to 23. Um, and that is a very real thing. And, and so I thought, okay, if I can't figure people out, I need to stay away from people. Mm. Um, it was almost like I wanted to protect them from me in some way. Uh, not, not so much in a violent way, but I didn't want to hurt people. I didn't want to, I I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel that anymore. And, and and frankly, I was very numb. Um, I didn't necessarily have emotions um, or at least I thought I didn't, I guess later, I guess later on uh, they did surface and I did have to deal with that, uh, which is a cool part of the story too. But uh, initially I was very, very numb. And so, you know, I didn't, no, nothing was really joyous and, and nothing really hurt me either because I wouldn't allow it to. And so I felt like I'm in this life alone and I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. And of course the relationship with my, with my daughter's mom, you know, it, it failed uh, miserably. I, I just, you know, it's, I just, I just, I just, I just remember if I have to think about those times because it, I feel like it has been a long time now, um, almost what, 10 years, no, almost 20 years. Um, I'm thinking I'm just never going to recover from this. I just, and, and, and I had some issues and people would, you know, some people closest to me would, would say, Hey Jeremy, uh, man, you're, you're like real edgy or, um, you, uh, you just, you just don't joke anymore or, you know, just, and I'm like, I don't have a problem. You guys are the problem. Like I, I just grew up, I grew up. You know what I mean? I, I had to I had to, you know, I, I had to do some things that made me um <laughs> feel like I had to I had to grow up very quickly. Anyway, um and so my friend, my friendship started to start to go away as well. And so, um, but I wasn't gonna go he- get help, you know, it was it was very weird. It was like I wanted people to help me. Uh so I understand this in the work that I do now. When 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 people say, Wow, why don't better just go get help? Right. Well, in a perfect world, that makes a lot of sense. But number one, I didn't feel like I needed help. Number two, I didn't know that the people who thought they could help me could really help me. Because mm. if only if only 0.45% understand what I've been through, uh, every time I walk out my door, 99 and a half people, 99.5% of people aren't going to know what I'm going through. So why should I even go through all that? Then they're going to judge me. They're going to think that I'm some terrible person. And, and then, and, you know, so all these thoughts ran through my head and I catastrophized and I, and I isolated for a long time. It was in a very deep depression um, for the majority of my 20s, uh, to be honest with you. It wasn't until probably mid 30s that I actually started to get on the other side of this. And so you're looking from the age of 22 to, to around 34, 35 before I even started to heal. And so that whole time I was just what I would call the closest thing to hell I've ever been to. I just had to live. I felt like demons were next to me. I felt like, um, like, like God didn't hear me, and I and I felt guilty to pray to Him. Like, who? How can I pray to Him? Like, He talks about, like you said, He talks about loving our enemies. I hated my enemies. Mm-hmm. Like, I hated them. How, how do you expect me to love somebody? Like, they are they are literally doing extremely violent things to the people that I care about. And God, what do you mean love them? You know, maybe you can love them. I can't love them. And just all those. All those, you know, changes uh, in, in in my in my faith, and and so it took me a long time uh, to get over that and to get in a place where I start to recognize that it begins with me and it be- begins with getting back into church.
0: Well, and, and nobody wants to just be told, "Hey, you're broken, and we can fix." Yes, it. yeah. <laughs> like, come on, man! I, I'm I'm a warrior. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm broken. Uh, yeah. Wow. And, and and where do you even start? But. Let, let's zero in maybe uh, a transition there where you're coming to, to the end of that decade that you don't know that you're coming to. But what mm-hmm. was that that moment, that impetus that changed you to uh, be able to start the journey of restoration to where you are now in your recovery from uh, PTSD and that, that hellhole, literal yeah. hellhole <laughs> that you were residing in in your 20s?
1: Yeah, so um, that's, that's a good story, too. I feel like there's a lot of pivotal moments. Uh, so I worked at a place in uh, Mount Sterling, Kentucky, and uh, I was an operations manager there. And um, I had a boss who was a retired Marine, and um, he was noticing uh, some things about me, um, uh, you know, and, and he would bring some things to my attention. Jeremy, your, your employees are saying that you're unapproachable. Uh, um, I noticed that during meetings, you have a hard time staying awake. Um, I, your cognitive process. I mean, he just knew this, you know, he's a very educated guy. I'm thankful for him. He, he was definitely an angel, I believe. And, um, and he said, your cognitive processing is off. And he's like, I, I, th- I think you need to, you know, go to the VA and get checked out. Up to this point, I had not been. I had not ever received any treatment for anything. I didn't know anything was wrong. I didn't know I had, I I wasn't, I thought something, I mean, I thought there was some, some issues there, but I didn't know it was PTSD. I didn't know it was traumatic brain injury. Um, And so he, you know, he, he, and he he gave me that recommendation. I didn't take the recommendation uh, because I had a a brand new son at that time and I needed to work. And, um, and then he, one day he, let me go. He said, I have, I have to, I said, I have to let you go. And my first, my first thought was, you're supposed to be my brother. Mm. Like you're my, like, is this what you do? I have a brand new son. Like you're, I'm going to lose my livelihood here. And he, and he said, I have to do this. You know, he said, I have to do this. Um, and he says, I just don't think you're going to get help if I don't. And, um, uh, I was very angry. And all I could think about was, oh man, how am I going to pay bills? How am I going to, you know? And so, but but what happened was, is, is that really what, what got me to go to the VA? I went to the Lexington VA and they put me through a series of tests. Um, and, and honestly, I felt like a hamster in a cage. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I did. Uh, and I know that they were trying to do what was best for me, but, but you, 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 I mean, I was a, a healthy guy. I didn't have to go to the doctor and all of a sudden, I'm doing MRIs and, and I have these therapists talking to me and writing notes and, and all these kind of things. Well, it was there where I was diagnosed with, with post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, chronic depression and uh, traumatic brain injury. And I said, what? And then there was some other physical stuff, uh, spinal stenosis, degenerative disc or, or some physical stuff too. And I thought, what? What's happening right now? Like yesterday, I didn't think anything was wrong physically. Right. And now today you're telling me I have these very scary sounding situations, you know, and uh, and, and there wasn't there wasn't long after that, that uh, that I went to uh, a 45 day inpatient program at Lexington. Uh, I think it's called the PRRP program. It's, it's, it's PTSD uh, inpatient. So it was very intense program. I mean, you, you literally could leave. Uh, I mean, I guess I could have if, if I really, really wanted to, but it was a controlled facility, I should say. They don't keep anybody who don't want to be there, but it wasn't someplace. It wasn't outpatient. And I lived there for 45 days amongst other veterans who was kind of going through what I was going through. And and then all of a sudden, this all this information, uh, all this, I've never been in a mental health world. I had never been in front of a therapist. I never considered. I mean, my, my, my mother has mental health challenges and my dad did too, um, uh, but I just never, they never formally um, went and got help for that. And so I just, I just thought, so what do I do now? You know? Uh, and so meeting with a therapist, I, I was told immediately what I probably couldn't do anymore. Mm. And I thought I'm 20, 27 years old, you know, like, what, what do you mean? And, uh, anyway, um, I started going and, and, and seeing somebody and I went through that program. I thought it was very helpful, uh, while I was there, but I thought, um, one, one of the reasons it was very helpful is because I didn't have to deal with reality while I was there. Um, I did get a, a lot of good information, but then I got released and then I was back into the world of the bills are due. You haven't been able to work, you know, and, and, and still trying to process that with the with a brand new son. And it was just very, very stressful. Uh, then I recognized that, uh, you know, I, that, that I had some service connected stuff and went through all that. And, and then, and then I decided one day uh, at, a, at a at a therapy session when I heard uh, for the last time it's been the last time that I heard that, but I heard yeah things are going to look different for you now. And uh, I remember leaving the VA and no, you know it's you know it's, it's really really no no jab at the VA. We're very good partners with the VA in a lot of ways, but uh, I just decided it could have very much went the way that they said. Don't get me wrong, but I just decided that's not happening. I'm not. And, and and what really pushed that at that time was I'm not letting the enemy win. Mm. I'm not letting the enemy win. I fought too hard. Right. And every time that I lay down every day that I quit and every day that I become a victim, I'll let the enemy win. And I didn't even realize that the enemy I was truly facing had nothing to do with the ones that I faced in the, in the, in Iraq, it was the enemy uh, or common enemy uh, known as Satan. Right. That was really lying to me and manipulating me and trying to, Trying to get me to lay down because God had something very, very much different in store, and uh, and so then I, I started attending church again. I started back up uh, in, when I lived in Eastern Kentucky, and then I eventually went to the Indiana campus in Southeast, um, and I started to really get involved. And I just felt like, man, I'm at home. I'm at home. Church is my home. It wasn't necessarily a particular church. I just. Kept going, you know. No matter what, when I'm at church, I feel at home. This is where I need to be. I got plugged in, started volunteering, and uh, and then I and then I started getting educated on what PTSD is. I got educated on traumatic brain injury, and I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out, uh, you know, all the ins and outs of what's going on with me, so that I can overcome it. Because just like in the military, we have to do intel on our enemy. You can't defeat an enemy you don't know. And so yes. some of that training. Transferred, And I go, okay, I'm going to, my enemy right now is PTSD and traumatic brain injury and depression. And I'm going to figure all I can figure out about it. And I'm going to win. I'm going to, I'm going to defeat it, but not me. God's going to do that. God's going to do that in my life. He's going to give me the strength. The strength's going to have to come from him. And, and, uh, I just remember, you know, praying and saying, God, just don't let me quit, you know, keep, you know, stay with me, uh, even on the bad days, uh, you know, don't, don't, you know, protect me from the lies of the, the enemy and things like that. And, and I started to go to other programs around the country, and uh, and I remember being in this. Uh, it was an equine program actually uh, up in New York. It was New York State. I had to fly into New York City, which is very intimidating. It's like a concrete jungle. I'd never been there, and then uh, I was very happy when we left there and went up upstate and Warwick. Uh, but we were at a, a church camp, uh, although that wasn't specifically what we were there for. We were essentially just using the facilities, and as I was going to the lodge uh, from the housing area that where we would meet every morning, you'd always pass this very, very small chapel. And it probably wasn't as big as my office, to be honest. And, uh, and I just, man, I just felt the nudge day one. I felt the nudge day two. I felt the nudge day three. And then, and then finally I was there for seven. uh, Finally I walked in and and I started out praying this pretty generic prayer, you know, uh, dear God, please help me. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. Why that? Why pretty much the, why me? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, um, something changed, something supernaturally happened. I haven't been able to replicate a prayer like that since, but then, it, then I just started saying, you know, no, no, that's, I want to, I, I want you to use me. And I started praising him. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this day. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me home. Thank you for... Uh, giving me the ability to recognize that there's something wrong with me. I started to thank him for the things that I thought were my biggest enemies uh, for revealing these things to me. And I, you don't demand anything from God. You're not supposed to, but I did that day. I said, I want you to use me, whatever it is, wherever I have to go, help me build your kingdom or allow me to help build the kingdom. Right. Send me out. Let, let me be useful. I submit to you. I said that probably 10 times. I left that chapel uh, with tears in my eyes and my voice was hoarse. I, I mean, I screamed this, you know, I, I just said, I can't do this. I can't take it anymore. I am weak. I can't do this on my own. I give up, you know, I surrender. And it was very, very uh, emotional. And that was in, um, that was in uh, uh, October of 2017. Um, and then November of 2017, Veterans Club started.
0: That's first of all, so powerful because you could have in that moment continued with the why me and, and honestly, with a relationship with God, it's okay to ask why. Right. And you could have centered on that, but you flipped the script to, okay, I see what you've done here and I see your fingerprint there and I see you intervened here and you jumped in there and thank you for that. And and now use me. Yeah. And then you go from being set on a shelf by the VA yeah. Saying, All right. Now we don't want to, we don't want you to break anymore. So we're going to put you up here <laughs> uh, and right. we're going to try not to jostle the cabinet. Okay. Yeah. All right. You just stay on that shelf and you do your time um, and enjoy as much as you can up there while you collect dust. You yes. move from that to starting a, an organization that has helped so many here in Kentucky and really moving to that. What? Where, where did I, we understand where the passion comes from uh, for that, but What's, what's your sustaining ability, your sustaining passion in leading it now? What keeps you going?
1: Well, what keeps me going is is it kind of kind of goes back to the the previous story that I was telling you, and, and that happened in October 2017. In November 2017, I started a private Facebook group, and the goal was uh, to get veterans together, whether it was one or 100. And uh, as I went through these different programs, I would always hear veterans say, you know, I don't necessarily miss – military i missed the brotherhood the camaraderie the sisterhood and and i kept thinking god kept putting it on my heart like it doesn't have to we don't have to miss it we don't we don't have to hang that up with the uniform right and so uh, i come back home i started that group and and uh and then i had one more thing that was that was uh that i had to do in regards to my healing uh at that point and it was a, a program in kansas and it was an equine program. And this whole time I didn't know where he was leading me. I had no experience with horses and I just thought it was really interesting that I keep going to these, uh, these clinics with, with horses. And, um, I remember early, uh, in my marriage with Aaron that she would talk about missing horses and how, because she had so much experience with horses. In fact, she used to, my wife, she used to pony horses, uh, to the, to the gate and Derby and Churchill Downs and things like that. So, um, she convinced me to sign up for this last ditch effort. In my opinion, I, I, I was really like reluctant. Like I'm probably went to a horse thing. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't really need to go to another horse thing. And she goes, I think it would help. I think it would, it would, it would create additional opportunity. Right. And so, you know, happy wife, happy life. And so, sure. uh, so I did that. I signed up and I was hoping really that, uh, that I wasn't going to get chosen. And then I got a phone call a few days later and I have this habit. I still do. I answer my phone on speaker. And, uh, so I answered the phone and said, Hey, this is Patrick, uh, from Warhorse horses with veterans. And, and we had a cancellation and just wanted to know if you, you were still interested in coming out. And I kind of look over the phone I look at Aaron and she's giving me the nod. Right. And I said, yeah, sure. Yeah. Can't wait. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, he's like, good. We have an opening this weekend. So two days later I was on a plane. The first time I had flown since I come home, uh, I flew to Kansas and, um, uh, and I remember getting off the airplane and checking into the hotel and they had this whole thing set up. It was really good. Um, and then they're like, okay, let's go out to the farm. And I thought, oh, man, it's hot out here. It's Kansas. You know, anyway, I was just, you know, it's just, a, just the stuff, right. that tries to keep us from focusing. Uh, I get out to the farm and we go down to the barn and I, I meet this horse. This horse is named Summer and I'll never forget her. Um, she was a Morgan horse and, I was really close. We were in the stall, and they were showing us kind of how to groom horses. And uh, my initial, um, initially, I was just like, "We're awful close for an eleven hundred pound animal." But I'm brushing this horse, and I'm just kind of looking at the horse. I'm we're kind of making eye contact. I'm kind of checking the body language of the horse, which what I know now is is a, is a way that they communicate. Um, and and I just really didn't want to be stepped on, to be honest, or I didn't want to get kicked. And and <laughs> But as I was, you know, brushing the horse and the dirt and the hair would fly off the horse. I just envisioned that this was just the junk that I was carrying around. I was just brushing it off, right? I'm just getting rid of it, and I got lost in this relationship with this horse. And you know what? For 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 uh, more longer than than ever, I wasn't thinking about Iraq. I wasn't thinking about uh, my my. Uh, disabilities or limitations, or I wasn't thinking about that. I just, it was a beautiful distraction to be with that horse. And so, uh, after several hours, they said, all right, let's, let's go do something different. Um, uh, and I was like, I really don't want to, I just really want to stay here. And, uh, they're like, well, we, we have to eat. And I said, well, I guess I'll go eat. But can I come back down here? So we go, we go eat. I come back down. And, uh, and that was a weekend. So I fly home uh, after that weekend, and, I, uh, you know, I told Aaron all about the trip. She was very excited, and, and I actually rode the horse, and it, I just felt it was really good. And But I didn't know. I mean, I've had a lot of short-term, you know, uh, short-term scenarios that made me feel good for a minute, but nothing long-term, which I know I learned very soon after that that God is a long-term uh, healer. And so anyway, uh, but they called me back. And they said, hey, Jeremy, uh, can you come back out here? Uh, Megan Kelly is going to do uh, a segment on our program. And I, was, and I didn't know who that was at the time either because um, I don't watch the news. But I said, uh, I said, well, I'm probably not the guy. Like, I don't, I don't know much about the horse. I mean, I like that one that I was with. And, yeah, it was a great experience. And he's like, oh, man, come on. We'd love you. You're articulate. You're able to speak. We would love for you to come out and do that. And we'll do anything for each other. You know, that's something that never goes away. So I said, okay, I'll do this for you, right? You were there for me. I'll do this for you. I flew back out. Um, they filmed, uh, flew back home. A couple weeks later, um, this segment comes on called Salute to Service. And uh, throughout, the, throughout the segment, she mentions that I'm a mentor. And I thought, well, interesting. Uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily know what I'm doing, but okay. It's
0: good, it's and good I, to know I'm mentoring it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and so at the end, though, she says, and Jeremy is going to do this in his homestead in Kentucky.
0: Did you know that? <laughs> I had,
1: had no that? idea. Man, 7 million viewers. I Googled it because I was scared to death. I was like, <laughs> who all seen this? And so I immediately called Patrick, and I said, Patrick, um, did you did you tell her? He said, no, no, I didn't. So I look at Aaron, and I'm like, what are we going to do? We live in a subdivision in South Louisville. Like, I don't even have a quarter acre. I don't have a dog. <laughs> What are we going to do? Right. And so, uh, and so she said, well, I have friends from my time in the horse industry and I think they may want to help us. So she called her friend in LaGrange and uh, sure enough, they're like, yeah, for that, we'll definitely allow you to come out and use our horses, use our farm. And the whole time God was orchestrating that, right? Like if she never said what I never said, I would have never done this. <laughs> You know, like I would sure. I would have never done it. And horses, like if you would have said, hey, Jeremy, what are 10 ways you want to have veterans?" Horses wasn't on the radar. It just wasn't. It's not that I don't like them. It's just that I grew up in South Louisville. And I know like in other states, people assume that we all have four or five horses in our backyard because we live in Kentucky. But that's definitely not the case. And so uh, so anyway, we start out there. And one, one really interesting thing that I want to mention is when we didn't necessarily know exactly what we were doing, we were just as successful as we are now, which we're a well-polished machine. Uh, I have since learned a lot about horseman and horsemanship. I've, you know, our, our programs are nationwide, uh, nationally recognized now. But the the result was the same because God was the center, and it, we brought people together. We connected them to each other. We connected them to Jesus, and and uh, and it's just really cool how that was the main. That was the that was the the, the common denominator in the success. Um, and so I, I just always want to make sure that's notated is that when, when God's in charge, it doesn't matter uh, what what level of platform uh, you have or that you're on. It's he, he's going to do what he's going to do to spite us. And, and he did that. And he made that successful. And of course, it grew to where it is today. But but through that, I started to get better because now I wasn't just fighting for me. Because at, we're not trained to care about us. or I'm sorry, we weren't trained to care about ourselves individually. We were trained to care about those to our right and left. And I thought, okay, if I'm not going to do it for me, I'm going to do it for my brothers. I'm going to do it for my sisters. I'm going to do it for everyone else who's hurting. And simultaneously, we all started to heal together, which is why the people that were in our program at the very beginning are still in our program and not necessarily in a place where they need more help, but as leaders, as volunteers, as mentors, um, because we we healed together. What a beautiful thing. And, and, the, and the, the commonality of the healing was from Jesus because I told these these folks in the beginning, I said, I'm not gonna say or do what needs to be said or done to make you, make you better, but I know who can. And I wanna introduce you to him right and uh and and that's really how it started we started sharing the gospel out there with the horses and the horses become something that we used to get people there uh and then we started doing other events um like going to the range we got people there we talked about you know god we talked about you know connection and uh and then i thought well we need to do more for the whole family because there were veterans who were coming out and they were getting the things that they needed but there was so much pain and damage in the relationships that uh, that oftentimes um, their spouse wouldn't believe that they were ready to change. And which what does that do that really deters them from getting better? And, uh, and so we started saying, bring the whole family. We're going to heal together. We're going to do it all at the same time. And, uh, and God just, he just used me like I asked. Like I literally asked and, and begged, essentially, God, use me. And he's doing it. And, and, and in turn, that's what really helped me heal. And yeah, I still go, you know, I still go to the VA. Um, but what's, what's interesting is, as I said, this, we, we recorded, uh, last Veterans Day with the History Channel. And, uh, and I said on there that my, my goal used to be to send vets to the VA and now the VA are sending vets to us, right? We've become really great partners. And anytime there's an all staff meeting or, uh, you know, they, they say, here's all staff and here's Jeremy, right? And, and they ask, you know, help us. And they've been, and the VA has gotten a lot better since I first went to the VA about opening up to the community and, and developing these community outreach positions where the the, 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 the liaison from the VA is just ingrained their organizations to provide help, uh, to provide material, but also that we can help the VA. And so um, that's so healing. You know, that's so healing because now when, when I hear somebody say, I'm, I'm done, man. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm a dead man walking. I can say, you absolutely are not. You are not done, right? Like, you know, and, and then we, we kind of get into that conversation. But the whole reason we do what we do, uh, Nate, is just for one person to ask and say, Jeremy, I know you've dealt with these things. What helps you get on the other side? How can you do this? How do you run an organization? You have PTSD and traumatic brain injury and these physical injuries. How do you do that? How do you run so hard? And I go, well, let me tell you how. Let me tell you who the real healer is. No offense to my mental health professionals. I think I think they they are uh, assigned and appointed. I really do, many of them, to do this work. And I think they're absolutely necessary for but for the long-term healing. Um, it, uh, you know, I have to give the credit to God. Um, he, he's really who did it. And so, um, that's essentially how we got to kind of where we are today. And, uh, and, and it's just compounding.
0: Well, and, and I can see that, that through line from uh, a God given tenacity of you're not going to put me on the shelf, watch what I can do, um, to, you know, that self-sacrificing, Hey, God put me on mission. Yeah. I need a purpose. Uh, yeah. And God giving you that mission. And then that service being able to be poured out, yeah, that can be healing leading to today. And, and that makes me want to say, I mean, we're running out of time, but I want to make <laughs> sure that that those that have been hearing about this, uh, if you could briefly tell us, A, where, uh, if someone's listening, they want to find out more about you, mm-hmm. um, if they can find that. And then also kind of what your uh, organization has to offer someone coming uh, to you just with a handshake and, hey, what you got?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so for people who are looking for me, um, you know, I'm very easy to find these days. Um, I'm, I'm either in St. Matthew's at our headquarters at church or at home in Shelbyville, right? But uh, but they can get a hold of me through the organization. Um, they can get on the website. Uh, there's a contact us um, tab. They can put their information and, and just specifically say, hey, I'd love to meet with Jeremy. And, uh, and we'll set that up. If, they want, if they're needing services, and, and it's important for me to note this as well, is yes, we provide services, but if you are a veteran who just wants connection, you're just trying to get involved in a community um, with people, but you don't necessarily need any therapeutic uh, services we provide. We do a lot of recreational things. We do a lot of connection building things, such as uh, you know we have the camaraderie and coffee. We meet at different coffee shops or at our headquarters, Black Rifle Coffee sponsors us. So we always have a ton of that. Everybody loves America's coffee, right? That's what they say. Uh, you can come by and do that. You can do that any day, but we also have specific events where we just come and talk about whatever we want to talk about. It's very organic. Uh, we go to concerts, bats games, blue city games. We always get tickets to those things. Uh, we have monthly cookouts for families. Um, so bring your family out. We do that in different parks around the region to be as close to everybody as we can be for those who have transportation issues um or can't get out, you know, uh, very much, they can come and, and participate in that. We provide the food. Uh you come out and you just connect and we just break bread together and we uh we just do life together. That's our motto by the way is doing life together. Uh, and that doesn't mean um just hey thanks for coming to our program. Good luck. We want to we want to continue a relationship and we're very personal that way. Uh, and then you know we if, if you are looking for therapeutic services, like I said our equine facilitated mentoring um, that's our most nationally known program, um, that, that has been very helpful to a lot of veterans and their spouses. We do it for military children too, and first responders. Um, and, and if you get through that and you start getting on the other side of some of these issues and you just want to learn more about horses, we have a next level program called restorative horsemanship where we partner with the Kentucky Humane Society and the horses that are surrendered, abused, neglected. Uh, We train veterans on how to help that horse overcome those challenges so that it can be adopted to its forever home. How empowering is that, right? Like you, we get a list of the horses that come in and what they, what the needs are. And we train veterans how to help these horses fix that so that they can leave because, uh, you know, they deserve uh, deserve a good home too, right? And so uh, that's been a really good program. Uh, we have a Jeep build program, which is um, uh, it's, it's really a vocational training for automotive repair, except we fix these Jeeps up that we find in the fields of Kentucky. And we build them into these off-road vehicles in which uh, we take them off-road. And if you don't have a Jeep, but you want to play in a Jeep, here's the keys. Have fun. If you break it, that's fine. We have a, we have a program that help that uh, <laughs> fixes them. Uh, and so, but, but in reality, that program is there to help veterans who maybe want a career in automotive repair, they learn every aspect of that from, from putting on suspension lifts to a small engine. And then um, if if you just want to learn how to fix your own vehicle, so you can save yourself money. But, uh, and then we have a lot of one-off stuff, but we're always, you know, we have support groups here at the headquarters. We have a project positivity, power of positive thinking. We have an encounter group uh, and we have reboot, which is a 12 week combat recovery course here too. Uh, but we're always doing something connect with us on social media, connect with us on our website we have close to 100 or close to 200 events a year, uh, so very active.
0: Well, if if there's one thing I've heard from, an amazing resource there for anybody wanting to get involved. But if, if there's one thing I'm hearing in everything you're saying, it's the importance of community yes. in your healing, um, and not just any community, but uh, y- your specific community, uh, whatever that may be. Just that no isolation. You cannot heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, without that connection. Um, we're, we're just about out of time here, but I always like at the end to shift it over to the guest and, and ask you if, there, if there's one thing that you want to, if you could speak directly to the listener, something we've mm-hmm. talked about, something about your journey, something about veterans, whatever it may be, if you could talk directly to the listener and leave them with a thought, a challenge uh, from Jeremy, what would that be?
1: You know, the main thing would be to trust God uh, and if you don't know him, get to know him, get a relation relationship with him. You know, I learned uh, from an old platoon sergeant. He said, uh, "He said never take your problems to someone who can do nothing about them." Right, and uh, and we don't always know who can or can't do something about them, except for one, and that's that's Jesus. He knows all about your problems. He understands it fully. Uh, there's nothing that surprises him. He absolutely wants to release you from that because that's not what he. That's not what he has in store for us. And, uh, and you know, I just want to encourage you, if you're on the fence about, do I go to church? Do I get connected? Do I, do I seek out a relationship? My hope and my prayer for you is that you do. You take that next step because it was the best, most healing, wonderful thing that I've ever done. And it doesn't mean things necessarily always get easy. Uh, in fact, sometimes they may get harder, but you know where to go. You know where to go to get the help that you need and it's a foolproof plan and uh and i just encourage you to to get connected that way and and get connected with your community in some way build your own community connect with a small group um, connect with folks in your neighborhood be good neighbors but community is the way out of some of these hardships and these temptations uh, that's biblical you know it's, it's about being in community with each other because you know if, if you don't have anybody to help you up when you fall you're going to be in a bad way And uh, we're not designed to do life alone. So please be in community and please get to church and and create a relationship with Jesus. and Let him do the work in your heart. Uh, Not necessarily what you want to do, but what he
0: wants to do. So good. Yes. And again, that no isolation, community connection. uh, We're made in the image of God and and, and that community that is exemplified in the Trinity uh, is is a part of us as well. Our need for each other. So, uh, Jeremy, I know you're a busy guy, but we appreciate (laughs) you coming on a great story podcast, sharing your story, sharing your resources. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely. I
1: had a a great time. Thanks for having me. And I hope this adds value to the listeners.
0: And to you, the listener, thank you again for uh, listening to this episode. If you want to know more about Jeremy, just go ahead and and swipe down there and and look into the show notes. Uh, We'll have the links for you to his website um, and you can reach out, contact them for more. Uh, and be praying for them. They're doing a good work and, and uh, helping a lot of veterans. Uh, so make sure that we, you pencil them in and say a prayer for them uh, as you go to your knees. Uh, now, we will be back in two weeks with another episode for you, as always. And there is no us without you. So we hope that you'll get plugged in. Go over to gracestoryministries.com. Check out all of the resources over there. Uh, and until next, uh, the next two weeks go by, we hope that you'll continue on your journey of restoration. And until then, we'll be praying for you.